Um, there, there's, there's, there, there, when I when I start to think about what what to speak about, there are so many things that could be spoken about, so many things that would be interesting and possibly useful. And um, yeah, forty-five minutes is a really short time <laughs> to speak, and. And this retreat, although it might not always seem like it to you, it's a, it's a very short retreat. And so there's not a lot of time. And, and when, I, when I consider this, what it, what it brings me to is that, um, is just the, the awareness that the, the longer I've practiced, which has been quite a number of years, and the longer I teach, which has been quite a number of years, the more I'm inclined to simplicity. And simplicity, simplicity shows in the practice and in the teachings in, in many, many ways. And one way, one way it shows in the, in the practice is just in what we've been doing today. I mean, standing and moving our arms like this. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Sitting and opening to the experience of breathing, just breathing, pretty simple. Can't get much more simple than that. And, and yet with the, the, the simplicity of this mindfulness of breathing, the Buddha in his discourse on it outlines step by step by step by step exactly how just the practice of mindfulness of breathing is enough to move step by step to full awakening and liberation. Just mindfulness of breathing. It's so simple. And yet it's so difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult. It's not at all easy. And, and so one, one question that comes is why? Why, if it's so simple, why is it so difficult? And um, a, number of, a number of responses come to me when I, when I ask that question. And one of the responses is because, and I think, I think a major one, is because there are certain mind states or qualities of mind that kind of jump in and overwhelm, and overwhelm the simplicity of the practice. And I'd just like to mention these briefly. Um, most of you are familiar with them. Um, most of you have probably experienced some or all of them today. And the first one, the most common, the Buddha named it sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor. So torpor, dullness, tiredness. Sloth, laziness. So how many experienced any degree of sloth and torpor today? <laughs> so 
So sloth and torpor comes in and it, and it just has a way of overwhelming the ability to stay awake and stay present with the experience. And I can tell you that after, I won't say how many years, after many years of practice and teaching, sloth and torpor still visit. <laughs> so it's not about expecting somehow for that to magically go away forever and not experience it and be fully awake from moment to moment and be mindful from moment to moment to moment. It's, it's more a question of, all right, there is sloth and torpor, how do I practice with that? How can I come back to the simplicity of practice in the presence of mind of sloth and torpor? And so there's lots of, lots of um, kind of little tricks that we can do, things that we can do to kind of overcome the sloth and torpor, in a sense to overwhelm the sloth and torpor so it's not overwhelming the mindfulness. So, so things like opening the eyes, something as simple, and they're all very simple things, uh, something as simple as straightening up the posture and just bring up some energy. Opening the eyes can bring up some energy. Just having a gentle little stretch and then start again can bring up some energy. Um, giving, giving more attention to the in-breath. The in-breath is bringing in the oxygen and just not by forcing it, not by changing it in any way, but just by giving it attention. Giving that in-breath attention and becoming more aware of the breath coming in. Just that can bring up some energy. Standing up. Just stand up. Stand in the, the qigong posture. The gesture. Standing is really good for bringing up energy. Have you noticed that? You can be sitting and nodding. Occasionally someone actually falls over. <laughs> but have you noticed when you're standing, you tend to do that a lot less. <laughs> I've never seen anyone fall over in standing posture. And there seems to be a lot less of this nodding and jerking back. So standing. Sometimes, sometimes with, um, with the sloth and torpor, sometimes it's really useful to just go off and have a little nap. In, in considering these, it, it can sometimes be useful to consider, okay, what's my life been before the retreat? Has my lifestyle been contributing to this? People lots of, often come and say, oh, this mindfulness of breathing, it's, it's just so boring, it just makes me tired. <laughs> and it's, it's, in most cases, it's not the mindfulness of breathing that's creating the tiredness. The mindfulness of breathing is creating the awareness of the tiredness that was there from the lifestyle 
before the retreat. So it can be a really important investigation. So these different ways of, of, of addressing the sloth and torpor. But the, the sloth and torpor, another, another approach to it, and in fact, another approach to, to each of these mind states that comes in, that come in and overwhelm the mindfulness, is actually to take some interest in the experience of tiredness, of sloth and torpor. If we look in our lives, we can, we can see, certainly I see, when something comes along that I'm really interested in, no matter how tired I am, all of a sudden, I'm wide awake. <laughs> There's lots of energy. Can we find interest in the actual experience of sloth and torpor? How does it feel? How does it feel in the eyes? How does it feel in the chest? How does it feel in the hands? How does it feel in, in the, the contact with the ground? What's the actual experience of sloth and torpor? Does it feel the same everywhere in the body? Or does it feel different in different places? Is it the same feeling, the same experience, the same sensation every time? Or does it change? Does the quality of sloth and torpor change? bringing this kind of investigation so that sloth and torpor is no longer a problem, it's no longer an obstacle, it's no longer a hindrance, it no longer overwhelms the mindfulness. It actually gives us an object for mindfulness. And we can keep that simplicity by keeping it to mindfulness of the body. And then we can learn so much about sloth and torpor and so much about our relationship to it and so much about ourselves just by giving attention with interest to the actual experience. Second, second one that often goes along with sloth and torpor is restlessness. How many notice restlessness today? could be restlessness of the body, just fidgeting around, can't get comfortable, can't get settled, can't relax at all. Could be restlessness of the mind, just, you know, just full of stories, full of memories, full of plans, full of thoughts and ideas, and just a full mind, <laughs> and a full-on mind. <laughs> restlessness. Restlessness. Restlessness often also is um, a product of our lifestyle. As Brad, Brad spoke about how what we've been doing before coming on retreat has a momentum. And it kind of carries on. So we still feel that urge to go for the mobile or to send an email or to do this or to do that or... Um, Whatever idea comes into the mind that I have to do, <laughs> this is restlessness. And 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 with with restlessness also there are there are 
things we can do. You know, a common, a common belief, um, often with beginners, but not not only with beginners. It's uh, also with people sometimes who have who have done a lot of practice. Is is the idea that everyone else is so quiet and still and doing it so well. And here I am just <laughs> And one of the reasons, one of the, one of the contributing factors to that idea may be that in the restlessness, I'm opening my eyes and looking around and looking at everyone else and seeing everyone else. Oh, they're all just sitting there. So one of the antidotes for restlessness is close your eyes. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> Just close your eyes. Another, another approach with, with restlessness is, again, the same as with the sloth and torpor, to stand. And just, just take some time to stand. And, and often in the standing, it's easier to get grounded than, than sitting and being with, with the restless body. The standing. But again, bringing, bringing mindfulness Bringing mindfulness and bringing interest. Mindfulness and interest to the actual experience of restlessness. And just seeing to what extent can there be an opening and an allowing for, and kind of finding some space around in which that, that agitation can do what it needs to do without our having to act on it. And just giving attention and seeing, ah, you know, where do I feel it? Is it in the head, in the eyes, in the in the jaw, in the in the guts, in the in the feet, in the legs? Is it all just mind chatter just going on and on and on? What's the actual experience of restlessness? Is it constant? Does it keep going? Is it always the same? Does it change? So bringing this kind of investigation to, to the restlessness, just as we can do with the sloth and torpor. The, um, the, next, the next one is the wanting mind. And this is where the mind so easily comes in and overwhelms the mindfulness. It's interesting how the mind overwhelms mindfulness. The mind just gets so busy, gets busy with wanting, wanting. I want a more comfortable way of sitting. I want um, a shorter sitting. I want the bell to ring now. <laughs> I want, um, I want, more discussion groups. I want more sunshine. I want, I want, I want. And everything I want, of course, is going to be much better than what is. And the mind just gets caught up in this. And again, um, it, it, to a large extent, it's because of this momentum from before we began the retreat whenever that was. And um, 
And again, with this, if we can come back to the simplicity of the practice, and just to remember the simplicity of the practice has nothing to do with getting rid of this or stopping it or thinking it shouldn't be happening or thinking there's something wrong with me because it's happening. The simplicity of the practice is notice that it's happening. Just notice thinking. Notice wanting. Just to be aware, ah, wanting is happening. And come back to the body, back to the simplicity of just breathing. And that coming back to the simplicity of breathing, again, isn't in order to stop or get rid of that mind state. It's simply making a choice to not get stuck in it, to not get caught in it. It's making a choice to go in another direction. The, the most effective way I have found of actually bringing the mind to any degree of quietness is by opening to the body. And as, as we open more to the body and open more to the breathing and really connect with the breathing, we can start to actually feel the mind activity in the body. And we can start to, to notice that with certain mind states, the breathing will be a certain way. With certain thoughts, the breathing will respond in a certain way. Or some other body sensation will respond in a certain way. The mind and body are not two separate things. They interact. And, and in the simplicity of being present with the body, we can really come to know mind without getting caught up in the stories that overwhelm the mindfulness. But again, it requires that combination of mindfulness and the interest. Wanting mind. Next one is the aversive mind. <laughs> the mind that doesn't want. I don't want this pain in my knee. I don't want, um, I don't know. I don't want so much talking during the guided meditation. I don't want, I don't want this person next to me who's coughing. I don't want my roommate who's snoring. I don't want this food. I don't like it. <laughs> um, countless things that the mind can choose as a target to not like. And that's what it does. That's what we do, both with the wanting and the not wanting, the liking and the disliking. It's, it's almost like the mind state, the mind state appears and then and then the mind finds a target for it. Oh yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the way I feel. It's gotta be because of this. And we, we choose a target out there. And so the practice, the simplicity of the practice is forget about out there. 
don't deny it, don't push it away, but make that choice to come within. When the not wanting, when the aversive mind is showing, <coughs> how does that feel in the body? Is there a tightening? Is there a, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's even a, you can, it's, it's so physical, you know, something can come to mind and there can actually be a physical moving away from it. And then when there's the wanting mind, there can be an actual moving toward it. And we can start to feel the effect in the body of these mind states. And so we can start to explore them through the body. It makes it much more simple. Much, much easier than trying to figure it all out. Using more mind. Creating more restlessness of mind. Creating more thoughts, ideas, concepts. So we've got sloth and torpor, restlessness, wanting mind, aversive mind, and the, the fifth one that the Buddha speaks about is the doubting mind. The doubting mind. What on earth am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Am I doing it right? Everyone else seems to be. What's wrong with me? Must be something wrong. Or, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Should I be with my breathing? Should I be moving my arms around? Should I be, um, should I be bouncing or should I be stomping? <laughs> should I be sitting? Should I be standing? All of this, all of these, these kinds of questions, these kinds of doubts, these, these kinds of confusion, of uncertainty, come under the, the, the label of doubting mind. And doubting mind, doubting mind can, can, it can overwhelm. It can easily overwhelm. And doubting mind um, can, can, it can be, yeah, it can be very, it can be a very negative state of mind. But, but sometimes we can just kind of switch it a little bit. And so we can take the question, what am I doing here? And we can change it and say, what am I doing here? And so that, so that the doubting mind becomes a doorway into interest and investigation rather than a doorway into negativity. Might as well go home. So we can, we can take that doubting mind and take that doubt and turn it around and then bring the mindfulness, bring the mindfulness and the interest to that doubt. And again, coming into the body, coming to the breathing, what's the actual experience of it? How is the experience? And how am I with it?
so so that these 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 mind states that so easily overwhelm the mindfulness become actually part of the practice it's and 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 it and it really is much easier and much more simple to make them part of the practice rather than fighting with them as something that is hindering the practice. Bring them into the practice. It's like, you know, it's like instead of, instead of arguing and fighting with someone, become friends with them. It's much better. <laughs> it's much better to be a friend with someone than to be fighting and arguing so we bring that, that kind of attitude to these, these mind states that show. And we bring that attitude in a way that we bring simplicity to the practice. It's really simple. Ah, what's happening right now? How is it in the body? So simplicity in practice. Um, another a, a question that comes up that that, um, that actually I hope comes up <laughs> for you um, a question that 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 can be not so simple <laughs> it can be very complicated and can lead to a lot of confusion and doubt and wanting mind and not wanting mind and um, and analysis and lots of mind activity and and it's the question of why. Just be present with the breathing. Why? And it could be a question of why anything. <laughs> the why question almost always leads to more mind activity, trying to figure it out, trying to analyze it, trying to get an answer, trying to get a, a conclusion, a resolution. Um, why? So the the Buddha, the Buddha, gave a very simple, <coughs> very clear response to this question, and um, and it hinges on a, a single Pali word. Pali again being the language of the Buddha's teachings, and and that word is dukkha, it's spelled D-U-K-K-H-A, dukkha, and dukkha is the word that we most commonly see translated as suffering. And suffering is, is an aspect of it, but dukkha has a much broader meaning, a much broader context. Um, and, um, and, and dukkha, so dukkha is also translated as unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction. So whenever you're giving attention, opening to the breathing, being present with the experience of the breathing, and there's, oh, there must be more to it than this. This isn't enough, this isn't good enough. This is dukkha. Okay, so dissatisfaction or unsatisfactoriness. Um, the, the Buddha translates dukkha as not getting what we want and getting what we don't want. So it's that wanting and aversion. You know, I don't like this. 
I want to get rid of this. I wish my mind would stop being so busy. This is all dukkha. Ah, I was quiet for a little while. My mind was so quiet and it felt so good and now I've lost it. That sense of loss, that's dukkha. It's like, oh, I've lost it. I've got to get it back. How can I get it back? This is dukkha. Wanting things to be different than they are. The more contemporary translation of dukkha is stress. Stress is dukkha. So we can see that dukkha has a, a wide range of meanings and contexts and degrees and subtleties and grossness. And so when the Buddha was asked, why, why do this practice? The Buddha said, um, it's to know dukkha and the ending of dukkha. Very simple. And if we can, if we can keep coming back to that in our practice, you know, when 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 I'm when I'm sitting and and it's it's really difficult and I'm and I recognize oh I wish it would be different, just come back oh it's about knowing dukkha, and the ending of dukkha. And so so to know dukkha to know dukkha requires it it invites us to open to the experience of it. So it's inviting us to open to what's the actual experience of the wanting mind. What's the actual experience of the aversive mind, of not wanting and wanting. What's the actual experience of the doubting mind, of the torpor mind, the mind that wants things to be different than they are. And and so this this uh, saying that it's to know dukkha is inviting us to open, to really allow for the experience of dukkha. And to, to, bring, to bring mindfulness to the dukkha and to the experience, to the experience of dukkha, not to the story of what it's about, but to the actual present experience of it. but not just to bring mindfulness to it, but also to bring this quality of interest, of investigation, of inquiry. And not an investigation or an inquiry that's, that's trying to figure it out. How do I make it better? How do I get rid of it? How do I end it? But an investigation that is just an opening and allowing to, well, let me experience this and really explore it through my experience of it. And through that, through that exploration, through that inquiry, through, through opening to it, through feeling it in the body, we can come to the insight, the understanding of how it actually is. We can, come, we can come to recognize that if I don't act on it, you know, when I, when I have this urge to go for the mobile, if I don't act on it, if I just come back to the breathing and just rest in the body, that urge passes. It changes. 
each time I act on it, it kind of perpetuates the habit. By recognizing it and opening to the experience of it without acting on it, it sets off a different momentum. And the momentum, it's the momentum that it sets off in is towards the ending of that dukkha, the ending of that habit, the ending of the addiction. And I just use mobile as an example. It could be anything. We all have our own, we all have our own mobiles. So the so it's so this the the bringing these two qualities of mindfulness and the investigation the interest to the to the object to the body to the experience of what is brings the understanding of it and it brings the understanding in a way that when when the Buddha outlined this step by step process with the mindfulness of breathing. Um, one of, the, one of the last lines is that it comes to fruition in relinquishment. It comes to fruition in letting go. And the letting go, the letting go is, it's not something that we do. You know, we, we, it, it's, it's, it's quite common for, for us, I, th I think, for many or all of us to to recognize and and maybe not having the language for it or the the words the words for it or even the concepts for it but but to recognize in some way that at some time we're we're experiencing some dissatisfaction we're experiencing some dukkha and we see that we recognize that it's because i'm holding on to something i'm holding on to some idea or some way of being, or some habit, and I'm kind of fixated on that and holding on, and at some point I recognize that it's that holding that's causing the dukkha. And in that recognition, something in the being can relax, and it's just, oh, I don't have to hold on. And that releasing just happens. So how many have had this experience in, in some aspect of your life? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very common. So we have, we have that, that knowing, we have that wisdom within us. And the practice, as the Buddha outlines, reaches fruition in that relinquishment, that letting go, the ending of that clinging. And the ending of that clinging, the ending of that grasping, is the ending of the dukkha. And so the simplicity of the practice is to, is to be open to our experience, to be open to, to all of our experience, whether it's an experience of, of joy, of pleasure, of lightness, of spaciousness, or whether it's a, an experience of constriction, contraction, pain, dukkha, opening to it all. And, and through, that, through that opening, coming to the, the insights, the realizations that come to fruition 
in that relinquishing. It's very simple. And again, the, the, what, what makes it hard, what makes it hard for the most part is our minds coming in and in the attempt to make it simple through the mind, we complicate it. We bring in all kinds of stories and ideas and, and thoughts and, and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And all it takes is just to stop and just pay attention. Just be present. Be present with, with this interest, this curiosity, this investigation. So in the, in the sitting, the mindfulness of breathing, can we remember, just remember simplicity. Remember, ah oh yes, there's that sloth and torpor again. Simplicity, how is it? What's the experience of it? Ah oh yes, there's that wanting mind again. Simplicity. Ah, oh, there's that aversive mind again. Breathing, ah, ah. <laughs> and, and in the Qigong, the same. You know, it's very simple. The movements are very simple. It's really simple to just bounce up and down. It's really simple just to step up and down. And to bring, to bring the mindfulness and to bring the, the interest, the curiosity to that experience. to settle in the body and, and again to notice when the, the aversive mind comes up, oh, I'd rather sit. Why can't we just sit and be still? I like to be still and quiet. And get the, the wanting and the not wanting at the same time. <laughs> and, and just remember, ah, rest, the practice, the practice, the simplicity of practice. Yes, there is that mind state? How is it in the body? And through this, through this simplicity, we, come, we can come to the awakening, which in itself is very simple. We can think of awakening as, awakening as being something very special and very, ooh, <laughs> And, um, you know, maybe you think, oh, it's going to be some really powerful experience and the light bulbs are going to go off and, and, um, and all these wonderful things are going to happen. But it can be very simple, very ordinary. Just this breath, however it is. Just this sensation in the body whatever it is, however it is, wherever it is. Just this, just this thought, just this hearing, just this smelling, just this tasting. It's very ordinary and very simple. So real encouragement to to not to try to remember all of this, 
but maybe just try, just see if you can kind of reflect on simplicity. And, um, and see to what extent in the practice can you actually embody simplicity. Embody, not in mind, embody. <laughs> So not to make not to make simplicity into something very complicated that I have to figure out and analyze and think about. And bring the simplicity into the practice, the practice of mindfulness and interest, investigation, and step by step coming to the simplicity of freedom of heart and mind. So let's very simply sit together for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.